What's up guys, welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. This week I am talking about whether or not you should invest in foreign property. Now it's a question that has come up numerous times in my uh, LinkedIn messages or in my Instagram feed, whatever it is, wherever the question comes in from, I get this question quite a lot. and. Um, it usually comes in two forms. The question comes either, should I invest in foreign property? Should I buy foreign property? Or it comes in the form of, how should I go about it? And um, there's two different things. First of all, there's the rationale behind whether you should do it or not. And then there's the actual methodology that you should take in order to do that. Um, I've got a quite a bit of experience in this. As you know, if you're a listener for a long time, you will know that uh, I've owned property or I still own property in various parts of the world. I've bought in the UK. I've bought in New York City. I had a beautiful uh, penthouse apartment in New York for many years. And uh, I also have a beautiful villa in Spain. I own property in Spain. I, ha had, pro I had apartments in Spain. I had uh, commercial retail in Spain. Uh, I was also part of a corporate, big corporate transaction in Dubai. I was working in Qatar for about a year and a half. Um, I have, I've traveled to Bulgaria to look at property there. I've traveled to Cyprus to look at property there. I've traveled to the Czech Republic to look at property there. Um, so I've, I've looked around. I've also looked at property in France, thought, thought about buying in France quite a few times. And I've also looked at property in ski resorts in various places that I've gone to uh, on ski vacations. And I've decided, you know, mm, this would be interesting to have a look at. So I've looked around and um, it's, it's going to be the question that we covered today. So sit back and without further ado, I'm going to answer the question, should you invest in foreign property? You are listening to Behind the Facade, and I am your host, Gavin J. Gallagher. On this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously, both in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Welcome to the show. All right, guys, welcome back. And first of all, let me start with a quick apology to anyone who was watching this on YouTube last week. Uh, as you know, there was no episode last week. Long story short, no video was uploaded last week and it just went out in the audio format. So this week I'm going to make up for it. And, uh, and so let us get into whether or not you should buy foreign property. Um, first of all, as I mentioned uh, earlier, there's two formats that this question is going to be dealt with today. The first format is, should you make the investment at all? I mean, is it a good idea or not? And then second of all, once you've decided that you're going to go and make that investment, how should you go about it? And um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a big difference there. So let's get into part one, and that is the whole, should I invest in foreign property? And I think what you really need to do in this situation is you really got to do a kind of a, a mental check on yourself. And you've got to, I mean, I talk about this a lot on this podcast, you know, behavior, 
mindset, all that. And this is particularly the case when it comes to investing in foreign property. You've got to ask yourself, what is influencing this big decision that you're making? Like investing in property full stop is a significant investment. You're putting capital down that you've saved up, that you've you know got from maybe another investment, whatever, and you're putting it into something and you're hoping that that is going to do well and grow over time or create a passive income or whatever. You've got to make sure that when you're looking at a foreign property deal that the you know that you're really checking on the motivation and the in you know what is influencing that decision. And the reason I say it is because a lot of the time people are driven by emotions and and things like that. So f- let me give you an example. You're traveling uh, on a vacation with your better half and you go and you're in this beautiful location and you just have the most magical time and you're just thinking to yourself, isn't it amazing this place? I would love to have a place here to live and next minute you start you know looking into it and you start investigating whether or not there's properties in the area for sale all of that kind of stuff all right let me just stop you there that is no longer a investment decision that is a lifestyle decision just because you've had a wonderful holiday does not mean that this is an investment location and uh, you know, it might sound obvious when I say that, but a lot of people will use, you know, the whole cognitive bias where you've kind of made the decision that you'd like to do this. And now you're looking for reinforcing data or information that will support this decision. But if you kind of dig down underneath it, really what this is is a lifestyle decision. You have thought to yourself, you had a wonderful holiday. It's a beautiful place, warm weather. I mean, it's it's lashing rain here as I'm recording this. And so, you know, a lovely holiday in Spain or in, you know, Sardinia where I was for my honeymoon, it sounds magical. And so having a property there, I don't need to bring a suitcase to the airport. I can just leave my clothes in the wardrobe, all that kind of stuff. Pure lifestyle decision because Uh, ultimately, you are not in a position to rent the property if you're using it for yourself. Now, you can sort of turn around and say, it's going to be an Airbnb and I'll have my, you know, clothes locked in a closet. And so whenever I'm in town, I can take my stuff out. That is still bordering on uh, a lifestyle decision because it's not cold logic and rationale that's driving the decision. It is lifestyle that is kind of the underlying decision-making. And so if you can make money off the back of a lifestyle decision, well, that's another question. I'm not knocking the idea. And my property in Spain, the the beautiful villa that I own, uh, like there's no investment rationale there. I want it. End of story. I want it because I want it. I don't want it because it's a good investment or because I think I'm going to make, you know, make better money or I'm going to get a good return. There is not a good return. It costs me more than I make from it in a rental, even renting it now at the moment. But that's not why I bought it. I bought it because I want it. And you've got to ask yourself, do you want something because you want it or do you want it because you think it's a good investment? And just do that mental check on yourself. I think it's worth just questioning that. Now, if you are looking around in a location, like I'm going to use the example of Spain because I'm so familiar with it, having lived there for many years, um, you're going to meet local agents. And the, the first property I ever bought abroad was in Spain. 
and it was after a visit to a hotel in Dublin. And I had lunch with my wife, and as we were leaving the hotel, we noticed a sign saying, Spanish investment property. <laughs> investment property, of course, being the key word. So we thought, let's pop in and have a look at this. And there was all these signboards up, and it was talking about this location. And really beautiful photographs. You, you can get a, an inkling straight away of the lifestyle. It all feels really, really good. And so from my point of view, straight away, it was like, wow, this looks amazing. Had a look at the, uh, the drawings that they had. They were, they were building this development. And so these were being sold off plan, as they say. And it means that the building is not yet built, but you can put your deposit down and you can stage pay your way to the property being delivered to you. And uh, in this case, it was about two years away, two and a half years away. So from the rationale from my point of view was, okay, I have the money right now to put a deposit down and I have two years to come up with the rest of the money. And in fact, it wasn't exactly like that. It was every six months or so, there was an additional payment due. And, and that became complicated, by the way, but I'll leave that story to, to a little bit later. Um, the, the local guy that was selling it was a salesperson. And I was asking the questions, you know, is it a good investment? And he was like, yes, very good investment. You know, you could double your money all of this kind of stuff, um, clients of his had done really well, had, you know, they had seen like a doubling of their money and whatever. And uh, it's very reassuring to hear those things, but don't forget this guy is earning a commission or getting paid to sell property. He's not there as your investment advisor. He's not there for any other reason other than to promote that property and sell it to you and get you interested and get you to write a check or to transfer funds or whatever it is. And he did a very good job and he, I bought that property. Put the deposit down, we went out to the car, got out the checkbook, came back. This is a couple of years ago, so we were using checkbooks and stuff. And uh, anyway, long story short, I ended up losing money on that purchase, but I did have many years of enjoyable use of it. And, uh, you know, so you've got to kind of weigh up the pros and cons. But as an investment, in the cold light of day, it was a dreadful investment because I put money in, I held it for many, many years, and when I sold it, I made a loss on the actual property. Um, it didn't go up at all. It actually lost money over those, like, 10 years that I held the property. So dreadful investment, but fantastic lifestyle decision. Was very pleased that I had all of those years leave those two questions to the side. Now, the next thing is, where is the information coming from? If it's not an agent, if you actually are reading about this, well then maybe, you know, you've actually got some good information there and maybe it's worth looking into this in more detail. You look at, you know, business magazines and business newspapers and stuff, and they often have uh, articles about, you know, markets in different parts of the world that are up and coming and stuff. And so that can be a good rationale behind it. But you've also got to be wary of um, advertorials, as I think they're called. And this is where it's, an, it's really an advertisement, but it is written like it's an editorial. And it's written in a certain way to, you know, trigger those emotions in you that you'd love to go and buy this property and all of that kind of stuff. So just bear that in mind that you've got to make sure that wherever the information is coming from, it's not motivated by the seller or the, the transaction. It's motivated by somebody who is actually like trying to help you find good investments and decision-making around that. 
Um, try to go deep on that whole question about what is your motivation. Um, is, the, is the driver that your home market has become too expensive? That is a big driver for a lot of people. They have money saved up for a deposit and they're looking around at property here, say in the Irish market or in the UK market or wherever it is in the world that you're listening in from. And if you're listening in and it's your home market and it just seems like it's gotten a little bit expensive in the last couple of years and you're finding it more and more difficult to bid on property, you're looking at stuff you just can't find value. That is not necessarily a good enough reason to go and start looking abroad because you know nothing about foreign markets. You know nothing about whether or not, you know, you look at a place, you're looking at a two bedroom apartment and it's gonna cost you X and then you look at foreign property and for the very same money you can get a four bedroom apartment. That might look like a much better market for you and you might be comparing it, but it doesn't necessarily mean, I mean, it could be at the very top of the market there as well. And nobody locally is buying that property. But in comes the foreigners and they don't know anything. And of course, they buy up property. And that is exactly what happened to me when I bought that first property that I mentioned a little while ago. And so just do that whole questioning on whether or not you, the reasons you're buying are really justifiable. You know, is, is it there? Do you know, what do you know about that market? And be really honest with yourself. Do you know about that market? Or have you just got caught up in the emotions? Um, where is the data coming from? Is the data coming from a reliable source? Is it coming from a person motivated to sell? Um, you do, just to give you a, an idea, local agents in Spain back in the early 2000s, that's when there was a kind of a big boom going on in the Spanish market. And people were buying property and they made a lot of money. Like they, they bought property cheap and it doubled over a couple of years. So the, the Spanish market went and through a doubling. And so it was a good time to buy in the very early 2000s. It wasn't a good time to buy in the mid 2000s because by that stage, the property had already doubled. So you were coming in at the tail end. Um, but what you've got to know is that the local agents that were selling those properties, they were on a commission in some cases of up to 20% of the value of the property. Now these were low value apartments, like you could buy an apartment back in those days for probably 60,000 or 70,000 um, euro, we'll say. And the, the agent would be walking away with 20% of that, which would be 14,000 in the case of 70,000. 14 grand of a commission. Like you can imagine what the motivation is to earn that kind of return. And, uh, and so they will tell you anything that you want to hear in order to kind of complete that sale. And I remember having dealings with some local agents down in Spain when I was there. And uh, guys would literally be squabbling and fighting over clients because it was that cutthroat. And there was a particular uh, Irish agent down there. I'm not gonna mention any names, but he developed a really bad reputation. And if you if you're know what I'm talking about, you'll know the person I'm speaking about, but you only have to go online and there are numerous websites with complaints about this company and this individual. And I can remember though that, you know, people would be collected at the airport, they would be put up in hotels, they would be, you know, brought out for dinner, they, all of this stuff 
in order to make you feel obligated to the agent. And the agent would be bringing you, you would say, I'd like to, I had a friend actually who was dealing with this exact agent that, we're talk, that I'm talking about. And he was collected at the airport, he was brought around and he wanted to see a particular development. And the guy was, oh, no, that's a terrible development. I wouldn't recommend that. He wouldn't recommend it because he was not getting any commission on that particular property. He wanted the guy to buy where there was a commission. And so they kept on bringing them to these areas that the guy did not want to live in. And it was entirely because that was where the commission was being driven from. In the end, he went and he bought from another property uh, in another location, the one that he always wanted to buy. And he, he got this irate phone call from the agent giving out to him saying like, how dare you buy? I, you know, I put you up in a hotel and I did this and all that. And the reality is, is a lot of these guys, these salespeople, they were, they were told by their employer to go and spend all this money, like put people up in hotels and stuff. And they would get to keep 50% of the commission and the, the company would keep the other 50%, but it would have none of the expenses. So these agents could go and make a fortune if they were good salespeople, if they could dupe people into buying property. They could make a lot of money very quickly. And some of these guys went on, they would, you know, be, they'd be driving Ferraris and stuff. Like they were really very wealthy, um, but utterly unscrupulous and would tell you anything you want to hear just to get the transaction over the line. So nowadays we probably know a little bit more about this and would be more wary of it. But at the time, this was a really rampant. And um, anyway... Enough about that particular one. There was, um, just needless to say, if somebody is buying you lunch and putting you up in hotels and doing all this kind of stuff, there is most definitely a lot of motivation there. And so they're obviously earning a pretty decent commission and therefore take anything that they give you with a pinch of salt because there's going to be questions around how honest the, uh, the information that you're getting. Now, the next question, and it's again around your mental mindset and stuff, is are you being motivated by envy or are you being motivated by greed or are you being motivated by, I think envy is probably the best way to put it because I've seen before when you travel um, to a foreign country and you bump into a friend or say you've arranged to meet a friend down there and the friend has already bought in that location. I have a good friend who um, celebrated his 40th birthday a couple of years ago and he invited us down and he has this amazing villa and we were all staying in a local hotel and then we went to his beautiful villa and we had dinner on it on the rooftop looking out over this bay and I mean it was just absolutely idyllic and sure enough as soon as I went back home I was like I must look into buying in that location. And the reason was maybe less a, less a touch of envy in that case, but just seeing how well he had done since he had bought that property, it had gone up a lot in value. I started to kind of think, well, maybe I could kind of jump on that bandwagon as well. And uh, so if somebody is doing well, you're naturally going to start to feel like maybe you can jump in and, and feel some of that, you know, and experience some of that uplift. The other thing is, is the envy. If you're sitting in somebody's home and it's like really feels spectacular and the location is amazing and stuff, you know, that little green monster sitting on your shoulder is whispering in your ear and saying, you know, this could be yours. You could own this too. You know, this guy is no smarter than you. 
you know, you could do this as well. And so you just got to be careful that your emotions around this decision are cold, rational investment logic, that you are not being driven by this kind of just envy or greed or any kind of a thing that just is not a kind of cold, calculated decision made for the very right reasons. And there's a whole psychology to remember when you're dealing with people who have bought uh, something, whether or not it's investing in crypto, whether it's investing in NFTs, the stock market, or property. It's your friend who is telling you this story is always going to sell the story positively, or more, more often than not, they're going to sell you a positive story. So you're not going to hear the, oh, this, I'm so, I regret so much buying this property. You're going to hear, feel like, yeah, you should, you should buy it too, man. It's really, it's a beautiful location. Uh, we've made really, we've done a great deal. We're so delighted we bought. You're going to hear all of this. And that is because most people don't want to feel like a fool. And so they will tell you that this was a great decision. This was the best decision of their life, all of this kind of stuff. And what they're trying to do is validate their own decision to make the investment. And maybe they do have, under, underneath it all, maybe they have regrets or maybe it's costing them more than they like, but they're not going to necessarily advertise that to you. And so by you buying in that location, you're also validating their decision and it makes them feel better about themselves. Um, you see their success, you want a little bit of that. That is also a driver. Uh, just remember, perception versus reality two different things one of the reasons why everyone loves instagram is because you got that great feed with all of these kind of amazing you know photographs that have been you know airbrushed and touched up and all this kind of stuff and you can present the perfect life where you're you know sitting in uh, you know a, a jet airplane and you can you're sitting in your fancy car and all this the reality is often that it's not your plane at all you're just sit, literally sitting on a set uh, it's not your car, you've rented it for the day. This is the, the reality versus the perception. You can seem like, you know, this is a very successful guy. Look at the look at the lifestyle. Maybe it's all, you know, fabricated and it's not real. And friends can also be guilty of that. So just be aware of the emotions that are playing out when you go and visit a property that a friend is living in or has bought or whatever. And remember that whole validation thing. Time will tell whether or not it was a good investment. Just because the market is up now doesn't mean that it's not going to crash and he's not going to experience a bit of a downturn in the future. And, um, you know, when did they invest is the other thing. When somebody is telling you that they've done really, really well, you've got to ask yourself about the timing. I mean, if they bought five years ago, well, yeah, anyone who bought five years ago is doing well today. Uh, that's the thing. It doesn't necessarily mean that you can go and buy yourself and you're going to feel that you know uplift as well now that's part one and just to kind of finish the point i'm not saying that there's anything wrong with investing foreign property i'm not against it in principle but just be sure you're doing it for the right reason um you know just do that little bit of a mental check and make sure that all of those things that i've mentioned are not there if it's a decision that is cold and it's logical and all that kind of stuff then it can make a great deal of sense. And let's get into now part two on how you should go about doing it. Now, there's a lot of different unknowns when you're buying a foreign property. And 
one of the first things that is going to pop into mind, and it's the it was the first stumbling block when I when I bought my property in Spain, and that is that at the time that I bought, I did not speak the language, and if you don't speak the language, you're automatically on the back foot because you go you have to get a solicitor to you know to do the investment for you and i remember sitting in the room with my solicitor who i had hired dealing with the solicitor for the company that was selling the property and you sit down and you're like a dumb mute who has no idea at this conversation that's flying back and forth but then they're laughing and they're joking and all this and you're just there like kind of looking back and forth wondering are they laughing at me do they know each other like what is the emotion and you don't know anything and that is a pretty tough initial thing to kind of experience and so first of all do you speak the language if you do speak the language fluently it does put you at an advantage certainly in terms of your decision making around it now in my case i went off and i actually learned to speak spanish and i did a really incredible um, language course and it, it cost me quite a few thousand but it was seven days, uh, 10 hours a day with a professor. And at the end of seven days, I was fluent in Spanish. And that sounds like a bullshit claim, but it's actually true. It involved hypnosis and all sorts of stuff. And I've actually recommended this guy to a few people since, and they've gone off and they've got the exact same experience that I did. So it is, um, it is possible to learn language very quickly. Spanish is easier than... I've tried to learn Russian. It's not quite as easy. Anyway, I'm not going to get distracted by this uh, little sidebar. Um, first thing that you don't know about buying property is the legal system. And there is so much. You're, if you're an investor in your home market, you by now probably know all of the legal ins and outs. You've dealt with it a few times. Um, and, and in which case, you already know how to go about it. Your solicitor you know probably a little bit about the tax, all of that kind of stuff. And you know how much of a deposit is required. You know how long it takes to find, you know, to get the property rented. You know what a lease, uh, you know, a, a local lease looks like because this is something that you're doing day in, day out. As soon as you go to a new market, it's entirely different. First of all, you've got legal documents that you're not going to be able to read. Second of all, the system, the actual legal system can differ. Now, if you're listening in Ireland or if you're listening in the UK, you're going to be familiar with the, you know, the, the property laws in those countries. And Ireland and the UK have very, very similar property law. If you go to the continent in Europe, it's totally different. They go by uh, the Napoleonic laws. And Spain also has a kind of a system that is similar to that, similar to the French system. And... Um, and the laws are different. You need a notary. You don't, when you, when you buy in Ireland and, and the UK, you use a solicitor. But in Spain, um, you have to go and you have to use a public notaire or a notary. And that adds a, a layer of complication. And uh, just, it means that if you want to do anything, any transaction or anything like that, you've got to go and sit in front of a notary. And that is, adds extra time. It adds extra complication. It adds all of these kind of layers that I had to learn on the go. And it also means that you don't know in the event of, say, default with your mortgage, uh, what's involved with the mortgage. How do you go about getting the mortgage? How quickly can you get a mortgage? I know here in the Irish market or in the UK market, I know how quickly I can expect to draw a loan down. But in Spain, I had no idea. 
And there's all these fees that you can get charged that you didn't realize. There's also, um, there's, you know, there's, there's penalties for early redemption of your loan. There is rules around interest only versus interest and capital repayment, all of this kind of stuff. And then the tax side. Uh, I didn't know that you're not able to offset your, your, you know, your tax, your profits from one jurisdiction doesn't necessarily allow you to offset against. If you have losses in, say, the Spanish market, you can't apply those losses to your Irish gains and, and various things like that. You, know, you just have to be careful that, uh, that you understand the tax system. The next thing you've got to understand in terms of what you don't know <clears throat> so we're talking about the banking system and we're talking about, you know, if you're going to go and get a mortgage, what's involved? How long is the process? I remember when I bought my, my villa and I was getting a mortgage, I ended up having to put cash down. I had to, I had to go and get the, my Irish banks to give me a very short, a short term, instantaneous loan. Basically, I just rang them up and said, I'm going to need you know, 300,000 or whatever it was, I'm going to need it immediately. And so they sent the money to me. They, they had a, you know, a, a lien on my property and my home or whatever. They sent me that and I had to send it to my solicitor in Spain because the mortgage provider was going to take another six or eight weeks until the property, um, until the loan was available to me. Now, if I hadn't, if I had not paid on the day with my own cash instead of using the local mortgage, I would have actually lost my deposit. That's how serious it was. And I didn't know this at the time. But when the solicitor told me, if you don't have the money in time, you're going to lose your deposit. Like you, the, the seller could literally walk away with your deposit. And, um, and this is one of the rules that I didn't know about at the time. So you just have to be very careful that you understand the system, the local system that you're, you're dealing with. In the case of market dynamics, that is the next thing that you probably need to understand in an awful lot more detail. And so um, what I mean by that is, you know, here, for example, in, in I live in Dublin, in Ireland, and I know that if I put my property up for sale tomorrow, that I can pretty much guarantee that within, say, 12 weeks, eight weeks possibly, but 12 weeks for sure, I can probably have my property sold and the money in my bank. Spain, other markets, French, whatever it is, wherever you're buying property, you need to understand that it can work differently in those markets. Just because you're used to a certain type of transaction length does not mean it applies. And I remember when I was selling one of my apartments in Spain, the time it took to sell, I was more than a year trying to sell that property. And, um, you, you know, it's, it's something that you don't even think about, but you, suddenly you realize, whoa, it takes so long to sell a property. I, and I had started the process and I thought it would be the similar 12 weeks or whatever. And I kept on ringing up my agent, like, you know, any updates? Has anyone inspected the property? No, nothing at the moment, nothing for the last month. And that is because if you buy in a foreign market, it could be that the people that you are, you know, the, the market you're in is a mainly a holiday market. And so it's only people traveling on their holidays that will, that will go and inspect your property. So it means there are going to be busy times. There's going to be like the Easter break and the summer break. Those are the times when the lots of people will be coming to visit your property. 
but off season you're not going to have anyone visiting your property and so i went for months with nobody visiting the property uh, to have a look at it and um, and so that is something that you need to be careful of and also the market dynamic is one thing the market timing is the other um, i mentioned before you can buy at the wrong time in the market just because your home market seems a bit pricey does not mean that a foreign market is any different you could be arriving in and you could be buying up the property that no local people are buying because it is all too expensive but the perception for you coming from your home market where it's more expensive per square meter or per square foot it looks cheap in comparison but locals would say it's crazy what you paid for that and so just bear that in mind the next thing you got to be very very careful of when you buy foreign property is be very wary of scams and i talked about scams recently but when you get into buying property in a foreign market there is all sorts of stuff that can catch you out now i had a guest on my podcast um, probably about a year ago and we were talking about his experience and he bought in bulgaria and the property ended up that he bought ended up in the ownership of uh, it was built by the local mafia and he was being charged thousands and thousands in uh, management fees and himself and all of the other investors they grouped together and they kicked out the the management company and they got somebody who actually owned one of the properties that was living there locally he moved into the property and he started managing it at a much much more reasonable rate so that sounds like a a good deal um what happened though was the uh the local mafia they basically moved in and they removed all of the doors and all of the windows in every single apartment in the entire building and when the they got they went to the, the owners that had been you know screwed over they went to the courts to you know get all this property put back and the court was obviously in the pocket of the mafia and they said they they looked at the original at the documents that people had signed and it was that you know you've bought a property but the windows and the doors are owned by this management company and that because you fired the management company they have the right to take these windows and doors with them and that now sounds absolutely ridiculous that's what happened and the property ended up completely without value and my friend who came on the podcast at the time told me that he had spoken to somebody that was still involved in that scheme and still today like a decade later no windows no doors in that development because it's owned by the mafia so that's something that you need to be aware of when i when i bought my property in spain i was aware of this kind of thing and uh, i i was careful about it because i had heard numerous stories of people that invested and suddenly they realized that there was no permit for the property that they had bought the agents that were there were crooked the solicitors were crooked the agent directs you to a solicitor the solicitor happens to be crooked as well all of this kind of stuff was going on so without permits it meant that the person could not get a mortgage and if you can't get a mortgage you've paid your deposit you've you know you've put 50,000 down if you're unable to get a mortgage what does that mean for you and in this particular case most people lost their deposits that they put in because they couldn't follow through with the mortgage um, so the company got to keep the deposits but 
in a couple of deals, what happened was, and I, I used to drive along the, the road through Marbella on the way to the airport, and there was all these structures, concrete structures standing up that were just covered in graffiti. And those were apartment buildings that had started without permits. And then the local mayor or whoever, he hadn't gotten his hand, his, his payoff. And so the development was stopped. A load of people have put deposits down for, you know, their partial ownership of, you know, this phased payments that you do. And suddenly the development is never going to be completed. So you've lost your deposit there as well. Um, you've got to be aware of timing and delivery. And this is nothing to do with scamming now. This is just literally when you buy off plan, you've got to be aware of the fact that you're putting money down and you're paying in stages. And in the case of the property that I bought, my first property, I think I put down 10%. And then about three months later, I had to put down another 10%. And then six months later, I had to put down another 20%. And then six months later, I had to put down another 20%. And you can see what I mean. You're, you're, you're kind of stacking your payments. And it sounds like a great idea. But the reality is, is you don't own that property yet. So there is no mortgage available until it's completed. And so this 20% and this another 20% and another 20%, that has to be paid out of cash that you have. And the only way you can get that is by doing an equity release on a property that you have back at home or you have the cash to do this. But most people who are buying property do not want to pay cash for the property. They want to leverage it with a mortgage. And so in this particular case, uh, I was doing well. I had plenty of cash line rent, so I was able to make these payments. But if I was in a situation where I needed to borrow money to do that, it wasn't going to be possible. And, uh, and so that's just something to bear in mind. Also, bear in mind in, in certain countries, there is a black market. And um, I discovered this. Now, thankfully, when I bought my properties, I bought it from a, a big public company, a big PLC. And because of that, there was no cash or black market transactions or, you know, off the books kind of um, payments in cash. But whenever you're buying a property in Spain from, say, a local Spanish person, or it, this doesn't necessarily have to be Spain, but my experience was that there's a lot of people and they don't want to, um, they don't want to pay uh, tax on their gain. And so what they do is they claim that the property is being sold at a lower level and you have to give cash in order to kind of top it up. And that way they don't pay as much tax as they would. Um, solicitors down there, they, you know, some of them will tell you, oh, you can't possibly do that. Don't go anywhere near that because you could lose your money. But some of them are just used to this and they facilitate it. And it's like, ah, oh, no problem at all. This is very easy to do. And <clears throat> you just need to be very careful that you understand what you're getting involved in. And if it involves those kind of cash payments, just make sure that you have a safety net, that you understand that there's no chance that you put the money down and then the transaction doesn't go ahead and you can't get the money back or whatever. Now, how do you go about learning all of this? There's two ways. And uh, way number one is the way that I did it at the time, and that is just study the market. And what I did in the end was I actually moved to Spain. And when you're living there, you can obviously learn on the, on the job. And so every day that I was living in Spain, I'd learn the language 
and I was investigating and I was reading and I was doing all the kind of investigations myself. So I ended up being a bit of an expert down there, so I believed, and, um, and that was one way of doing it. As it turns out, you're never an expert in a foreign country because there's always stuff that you have not yet experienced, any more than you're an expert in your home country. If you get involved in an area of uh, like a transaction or a dispute or something like that, if you're going to court for the first time, you're no expert. And that is something that you need to think about because uh, I ended up in a dispute on a property in Spain and I ended up having being taken to court by this person who I was in dispute with. And the court case went on for a couple of years and I had to fly down to Spain frequently in order to meet with the solicitor. Like this was before Zoom was a, was a thing in virtual calls. But not only that, you actually had to go down and sign agreements in front of notaries and all of this kind of stuff. I would say it cost me 30 or 40,000 in travel, um, you know, flights, accommodation, uh, traveling, uh, hiring cars, paying legal fees, paying all of this kind of stuff just to, that's not including whether I won or lost the case. That's just literally the cost of staying involved in the case. So you got to be careful. You got to make sure that you thread carefully in this whole area and just be, um, don't let your ego get caught up or don't get overconfident that you know how to do this. The reality is you'll be humbled and there'll be an aspect of this that you don't know anything about and you can get caught by that lack of knowledge. So ignorance is not bliss in this case. Ignorance can actually lead you into a pretty difficult situation. The best way to invest in a foreign property is through a partnership with a reliable, trustworthy um, market player who knows their stuff. And um, I'm working with people in um, that are based in the US and I'm or the company I'm in is the local partner for them. We know our stuff, we know our local market and they rely on us to steer them through whether it's the right decision, what are the decisions that we should take together and all of that kind of stuff. That's the way to go about it. Obviously, you're looking for someone who's trustworthy. You're looking for somebody who has a good reputation. You're looking for somebody that has a track record and who also has resources so they can, you know, they can put skin in the game with you. If you're investing in a, a foreign asset and your partner is not putting any money into the deal, you have to wonder how aligned are they. If there's no skin in the game for them, then your interests are not necessarily aligned. So just be aware of that. Uh, be aware that the legal system can differ. Be aware that the tax system can differ. Be aware that the banking system can differ. Having a local partner means that you are in a position to benefit from relationships that they have. Uh, they may have existing relationships with banks and lenders, and they may have existing relationships with solicitors and uh, local agents and all of that kind of stuff. And that allows you to steer around the uncertainty of you know, partnering up or, or hiring a, uh, an advisor who's not a particularly good advisor or who isn't an expert but claims that they are. All of that stuff is something that you need to be careful about. And finding a good partner 
does help you sidestep a lot of those issues. And um, the the big thing about your your foreign partner is um, is the market dynamics. Like they will a lot of the time they will know whether it's the right you know if they're prepared to invest in a deal then you should know that okay it sounds like this is a good deal to go and put in if my local partner wants to invest in this property then there's a good chance that he knows something that i'm not going to know and therefore i'm going to ride on his coattails and i'm going to get into the deal now the ability knowing the market the dynamics and stuff like that the ability to buy the property sell the property how long that's going to take how to go about the marketing of it all of that stuff a partner is going to easily be able to guide you on all of that stuff whereas you're gonna to have to try and learn this yourself otherwise in terms of market timing i have experienced a lot of positive timing and negative timing uh, i have friends who invested in the brazil uh, property market in brazil and um, they made a good return i mean they bought at a time when property was rising quickly in brazil and the, the, you know, the lifestyle in Brazil was starting to rise. The economy was growing. And people bought there and they experienced you know, four, four X their money in some cases, five X their money. Fantastic investment market to put your money into. When I invested in Spain, I invested at the top of the market and my investment fell back. The beautiful villa that I own today, it still hasn't reached the price that I paid for it. It fell after 2008 and it has risen a lot since then it's come back up a lot but i don't think it has even reached the level that i had paid for it back in 2008 so you don't you're not always going to get it right and if you're if you've got a mortgage that's a problem if you've got the resources to hold on to it well then obviously you can you can make that decision but as i mentioned before this wasn't an emotional this wasn't a an investment a rational investment decision this was an emotional lifestyle decision in the case of the villa in Spain. Dubai property, uh, we, we just timed it perfectly when we did our deal in, in Dubai. And like there was a 10x more, like more than 10x return in that deal. Um, Qatar, I didn't actually do any transactions in Qatar. I spent about a year trying to and just I didn't have a, a local partner that was aggressive at getting into deals and so it was uh, it was it was a bit of a disappointment actually because the guitar market did seem like an interesting place when i arrived but a year later about 18 months later i left and i just thought you know what nothing's gonna happen so i left that ghana absolutely fascinating market when i looked at ghana it was um just everything you looked at looked like an opportunity there, was, there wasn't a taxi service that was reliable. There was cars, didn't have seatbelts. It didn't feel safe. The roads were terrible. There wasn't a shopping center. There, there was a shopping center. There was one shopping center in the entire country. There weren't, like, just offices were appalling, in appalling state. Houses were, people were, you know, basic houses were being sold for 400,000. Not sold rented to oil companies for 400,000 a year rent um you know huge huge money because there was so much money being made by the oil companies that the executives had to live there and the oil companies were prepared to put down 
400,000 to go and rent the property for them. I mean, just an incredible market. Very, very difficult to crack that market. Definitely need a local partner. And finding a local partner in anywhere in Africa can be difficult because there is an awful lot of corruption and, and, and things like that. So you do need to be thread carefully, but incredible market um, to invest in. And, uh, and so I certainly my experience in Ghana was really, really interesting. And I would be very interested in looking at Africa in general as an investment location. In, in Spain, as I mentioned, there was an enormous amount of uh, scams and corruption and things like that. But it's a beautiful country and, you know, absolutely idyllic place to kind of live and have a lifestyle there. So from that point of view, it's great. But just ask yourself the question, is it the lifestyle decision that is driving it or is it an actual cold, rational decision behind it? And, and I think that's something you need to take into consideration. I mentioned the, the Bulgarian uh, mafia. You need, you need to be careful. I also have a friend who invested in, um, I think around 2008, he bought a property and he was going to build 70 apartments in Turkey. Um, that is still an empty site, was unable to, to get that. And I remember back in, in 2005, 2006, during the kind of the last Celtic Tiger kind of boom, a lot of people were looking at fringe markets where, oh, you know, this is, and it's very much like the crypto market today. People, you know, they're looking at Bitcoin. Bitcoin seems a little bit expensive. So let's start looking at these fringe coins, these stable coins and stuff. And uh, they look a lot cheaper and maybe they'll grow much faster. And the exact same thing was happening in property. So I can remember being, you know, being told about Cape Verde, which is an island off the coast of Africa. And, you know, you could buy property there and it was rental property, investment property. And I can remember looking into it and thinking, hold on, how do I go down there to solve a problem? You had to get multiple flights to get down there. Uh, it was something like, I can't remember exactly, but I think it was like an 11 hour door to door to kind of fly down there. And uh, anyway, I can imagine anyone who invested in those islands just regretted it later because I don't think the price would ever rise again. But not just that, you know, there's things like you can buy in locations in France and different parts of Europe where there's a Ryanair flight that, or an EasyJet flight that flies to that airport. And you think, look, this is great. I can fly in, I can fly out. But the reality is, is those flights are not guaranteed. And a, years, for a year from now, two years from now, they might decide to stop that, uh, that destination and no longer go there. And suddenly you're into a situation where in order to fly there, you now have to change flights and fly to you know, another country and then hire a car and drive for hours. This is the kind of thing you just need to think about. Think about the ability to access your property in the event that there's a problem and you need to sort it out. Um, choosing the partner, just getting back to that, you wanna make sure that um, whenever you're dealing with a local partner, that there is no pressure to act. One of the, um, one of the best things uh, with investing in a, in a good reputable sort of person with a good track record, with knowledge of the market, is they know when to invest and they, they're able to give you objective advice around that. If you're feeling pressure to, you know, we'll have to go and make a decision pretty quickly, 
that is not necessarily a good time to be putting money into a partnership or into a deal. Make sure you've got good chemistry. That's a, an absolute critical uh, element to any deal. And it doesn't necessarily, you, you don't necessarily know you've got good chemistry on the first meeting because people are on their best behavior. I've partnered with people who turned into really difficult assholes and I have a no asshole rule. And um, it, didn't, it didn't become obvious until maybe a couple of months later when we had already spent a lot of time together and suddenly the true nature of this person started to come out. And you just need to be careful. And you gotta, be, you gotta look for scammers everywhere, okay? Um, there's an awful lot of, a lot of very convincing scammers. When I was in Spain, uh, a guy tried to scam me and he was extremely convincing until I suddenly realized he was a scammer. But that was after I'd spent a couple of weeks doing all of this hard work in order to kind of impress him. And in the end, he asked for too much money. And I realized this is a scam. I don't believe it. And I had to quietly bite my lip because I suddenly realized, whoa, how do I know that this guy is not a part of the mafia or something? And if I now accuse him of being a scammer, he's going to suddenly turn nasty or something. So you got all of those kind of considerations. Also, be aware that you might have a honest partner who just happens to be out of touch or incompetent. And so be wary of taking, you know, just because you've got a local partner, you do have to, you know, sense check what they're saying, make sure that they've got, you know, solid assumptions and you have a debate with them as to why this is a good investment. Don't just fall hook, line and sinker for what it is they're saying. This is how you educate yourself around that market. If you're saying, well, hold on a sec, what about this? They're going to explain why that works or why that doesn't work. And this is a way for you to educate yourself. Um, and watch out for people that are way too confident. Um, that they may be good guys who are just, they've had a really good run of luck. They're doing really, really well. They haven't experienced a big downturn yet or something like that. And that kind of confidence can do damage. And you've got to be careful of that. Um, foreign investment, it can be very, very rewarding. And you can make a lot of money doing it. So I'm not going to say that it's a bad idea. But if you get it wrong, it is far worse than getting it wrong in your home market. Because in your home market, you can at least deal with the situation without having to travel. But when you have to go and get on planes and hire you know, hotel rooms and car hire and all this, it becomes really, really irritating that you're losing money on this deal and you're having to spend all this money just to extract yourself from what you already know is a, is a, is a lost cause. Be aware that travel and, you know, going to these foreign places at the outset seems glamorous. And that is something that, again, meant sense check and do a bit of a, a mindset check is there an element of glamour here that you're actually enamored with and that you'd like to experience more of i can tell you that when i was doing all my travel around the world um, it did feel awfully glamorous at the start jumping on airplanes and different airports and all that it is glamorous but 
that glamour wears off pretty quickly when you're doing it day in, day out and queuing in the airports for hours and things like that and security and stuff. It doesn't take long for you to actually get quite bored with the whole idea. Um, and if you look at the travel today versus travel three or four years ago, used to, I used to go to the airport. I used to leave the house and just literally arrive at the airport straight through security, bang, 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 onto the plane. It was pretty efficient. Now, at the moment, God is queuing for hours in the airport just to check your bag and things like that. So end of the story. Let's just finish this up. Make sure your motivation is a good type of motivation. Make sure it's based on sound, logic, rational, not driven by ego, not driven by any kind of emotion, whether that's love, envy, glamour, lifestyle, any of that stuff. Try to understand the system and the market, whether the timing, the dynamics, what's involved. Try to partner with somebody who knows the local market and how to handle it. This, the amount, if, even if you have to pay your partner locally to look after the deal, it can be an awful lot cheaper to pay a fee to your partner than it is for you to have to jump in an airplane and fly there every time you need to deal with something. And so just bear that in mind. A good partner, a good advisor is worth their weight in, go weight, weight in gold. Bad advisor, bad partner, you could actually lose all of your capital. So just be aware of that. And um, if your home market is too expensive, check on your mindset there and just ask, maybe the thing to do is actually just park my cash in a deposit account right now and just build my cash reserves. Buying in a foreign market just because your home market is too expensive is not good enough rationale in my book. Hope you found this useful. See you same time next week. All right, guys, thank you for tuning into another episode of Behind the Facade. If you enjoyed this episode or found it useful in any way, please take a moment to leave a review. The reviews really help us in terms of just being discovered and, uh, and getting recommended to other listeners. The other alternative is for you to share the episode. Do a copy and paste of the episode, share it with a friend you think might find this useful. Maybe somebody out there is thinking about investing in foreign property and this could be a useful episode for them. If you have any questions uh, or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes, you can either leave a comment down below suggesting it on YouTube or you can connect with me via my Facebook group, and that is called Behind the Facade Community. Um, you can also check out my, I have a, uh, a questionnaire. I, I call it the Property Investor Readiness Test, and there's a link to that in the show notes below, either in YouTube or in the, uh, in the show notes for the podcast itself. You're going to find me using the social media handle Gavin J. Gallagher, and you can stay up to you can stay up to date with any projects I'm working on just by visiting my website, GavinJGallagher.com. That's all for now, guys. Hope to see you again next week. Mm -hmm.